Well, we go in our thoughts this morning to uh, a little city about five miles north of Jezreel called Shunem. Today it's still a poor, small village surrounded by orchards, cactus hedges, and called Solom. On our first journey to Israel, we had a little extra time when we were in the area, and our tour guide asked me, where did I want to go? We had a few extra hours, and I said, well, isn't Shunem around here? And he said, yes, and there's some archaeological digs there. And so we went over there, and sure enough, um, Shunem is really right on the edge today of a little village called Solom, uh, very much looking like it probably did thousands of years ago. And uh, from the archaeological dig of Shunem, you can actually see Mount Carmel uh, 15 miles away. And so you can actually picture how Elisha must have come from his own home. It was too long of a journey to make on one stretch. Stayed right in that place uh, with this uh, great woman and her husband, as the Bible calls her, great. Great for prominence, no doubt, but also great for her spiritual uh, maturity. And then he would move on and go teach in his little, little seminary. Now, this woman was approached through Gehazi from Elisha about what Elisha could do to return the favor of this resting place that she gave him in her home. And in verse 13, he, she gives a remarkable answer. Elisha had said to her, through Gehazi, that was the proper protocol in those days, uh, can I speak to the king for you? Can I speak to the captain of the host for you? In other words, you could say whatever you want and I will see if I can get it for you. And her answer was, I dwell among my own people. I mean, that's a great woman. Astonishing contentment. And in our day, particularly with all that we've been going through as a nation, as churches, as seminary, as families, and individually, this kind of contentment, to just rest in what the Lord has done and who the Lord is and in his providences. And to actually say, I just dwell among my own people. And really, I'm just content with everything that God sends my way. That's remarkable. I mean, if someone came to you and said, I'll give you whatever you want. Let's speak to the President of the United States of America. I'd speak to the, you know, any, 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 authority leader, and I, I, can, I can get you whatever you want. What would you say? Would you say, well, I'm, I'm content. Just as I am. Well, this woman, you see, was, was a, a great woman, and what I want to talk about this morning is her, is her great faith. I'm simply calling this chapel Faith, colon, Shalom, exclamation point. Faith, colon, shalom, exclamation point. And we want to really focus primarily 
on verse 23b and 26, where she uses the word shalom twice. Twice. First, revealing her expectant faith for the future, and then second, revealing her submissive faith toward the past. Now, this woman was childless. If I didn't convince you, she was great. In my opening remarks, I hope this convinces you. She was childless. You know that was considered to be almost like a curse from God in that day. right? Because every woman wanted to somehow be at least in the line of the of the seed that of, of, of the godly seed that would bear the, the Messiah. She doesn't even mention that to Gehazi. She's learned to even embrace that cross and be content to dwell among her own people. But you know the story. Gehazi finds it out, tells Elisha. Elisha somehow, by some kind of divine revelation, uh, calls her back and says, the Lord will give you a child uh, a year from now. And it happens. It actually happens. A sign of a true prophet. And the child goes out in the field, probably has some kind of sunstroke, says to, her, says to his dad, uh, my, my head, my head. And his dad, not realizing how serious it was, gets one of the farm boys and says, well, take my son home to uh, his mother. And then the Bible says so simply, if anything, the Bible seems to de-exaggerate things. He sat on her knees until noon and then died. 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 The son of promise. The son given so miraculously. The son given as as a gift from God Most High. Through the man of God? I dwell among my own people? But now? What now? How can I bow under this? He died. The child of promise. The the child of prayer. The child given in love. Was, Was it all in God's disfavor? My dad used to say to me when I was a boy, he'd say, sometimes there are children of God that go to, go to the grave with more unanswered riddles than answered. Questions, multiplied questions, can come up in our lives when God's providences are what the Puritans called cross providences. And we're overwhelmed and we don't understand. How do we respond? Well, this great woman responds with great faith. Look at verse 21. She went up and laid the boy on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. That's a triple act of faith. She laid him on the bed of the man of God. She wasn't angry with the prophet. It was an act of faith that she laid him on the bed of the man of God because whoever comes into contact with the dead... In those days, whatever does come into contact becomes unclean. So she would have made that room unclean. She would have made that bed unclean. So 
You might think she's doing this out of revenge, out of anger against the prophet, but not so. She rather believes that the God of Elisha can raise this boy from the dead. Much like Abraham going up the mount with Isaac. That they would come back. It's faith. Great faith. And then she shut the door. I mean, if she lived in 21st century North America and somebody opened that door, she'd be probably accused of child abuse. Because you see, in those days, you had to bury the dead right away. The hour they were dead, you, you, were, you were out there hiring women, you were making funeral preparations. Before the sun went down, you bury the dead due to the hot climate. She shuts the door. She goes out. She goes out by faith to look for Elisha so that the God of Elisha could raise this boy from the dead. But then she faces a huge obstacle. Elisha is 15 miles away at Mount Carmel. And the woman wasn't supposed to travel like that, not that distance uh, at that time uh, without uh, her husband. But she calls to her husband and says, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men, one of the asses, verse 22, that I may run to the man of God and come again. See, faith knows no obstacles. And he responds, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. No, at that point, at that point, if this wasn't a great woman responding by great faith, I mean, she would have given up, don't you think? The door is closed. But she doesn't. She just says, Shalom, Shalom. Future tense, it shall be well. Everything's going to be well. The God of Elisha will intervene. Well, in Hebrew, it's just a single word, Shalom. And with that, she just rests in the Lord. Isn't that what we need in troublesome times like these? Just shalom. Surrender the future to God. It shall be well. God makes no mistakes. When troubles seem to overwhelm, when difficulties multiply, when questions are abundant, when we've even brought ourselves into pits from which we have no ability to climb out on our own. Shalom. Shall be well. Drive and go forward, she says to the servant. She's not passive. Far from that. Drive and go forward. Faith is an active thing, a moving thing. So she went. So she went. So she went. So she went. Five times in this chapter. So she went. Faith is active, you see. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. Six hours of travel. Questions, wrestlings, pleadings, prayers, whatever else was going on in her soul. Elisha sees her coming. He says to Gehazi, go and run to her and say to her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, shalom, shalom. It's well. It's well with regard to the past. It's well. I mean, this is just phenomenal. I think her future faith was great. When your boy is lying, your only boy, your son of promise is lying dead at home, 
You can say it, it is well, past tense. You know, people always ask us how we're doing, right? And you, you ask all kinds of people, how are you doing? And we say, it's well, doing well, even when we're not doing well. Because it's just kind of like a formal greeting. I had an aged grandfather who used to come to church very early. He'd stand in the back of the vestibule, and he was a very friendly man. But he never realized that when people ask you how you're doing, that you really don't want an answer. So he, uh, people would say to him, how are you doing? And in a very loud voice, and would carry into the church. And he'd tell each person that came by all his ailments. I mean, all of them. And it would carry on for about two, three, four minutes till finally some people began to catch on. They just wanted to ask him how he's doing. Because he thought you really meant it. You see, but we, we just say it easily, don't we? Oh, I'm doing fine. But to say it as well, when your only son is a dead corpse at home, how is it possible? See, this is the submission of faith in all its profundity. Faith is an active thing, even as it's a submissive thing. Bowing under God's ways. Now, what does submission really mean? Submissive, submissive faith. Well, I like to put it this way. There's really four things involved. You, you, could, you could see these as four deepening steps in the act of faith. First thing is you acknowledge your problem, your burden is of the Lord. It is the Lord. If you can't say that, you've got no hope whatsoever. Remember 9-11? I didn't see it myself, of course, but there was a... I heard a lot about it afterward. John MacArthur was on on the Larry King show with four or five other pastors. And uh, all of them, or a priest and a rabbi or whatever, and all of them said... When King asked, where is God in 9-11? And they all said, well, God has nothing to do with this. Then he finally came to MacArthur, the last one, and said, God has everything to do with this. God's involved. If God's not involved, we just have an impotent God. We have no hope. So when troubles and trials come in your life, the first thing to do is to say, this is the hand of God. This is the finger of God. Acknowledge it is the Lord. Like David, Psalm 39, I was dumb with silence. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Thou didst it. It's actually comforting. And later on, David said of Shimei, let Shimei curse, for the Lord hath bidden him to curse David. What a blessing when you can say, it's the Lord when you're under great trial. Secondly, True submission justifies God. It bows before the sovereignty of God and justifies God in all his doings. When Aaron experienced that fire came down from heaven to consume his two boys, the Bible says he held his peace. What's he saying? Saying, well, the Lord is righteous. When Eli lost his two boys, 
He said, it's the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. When David's throne was taken over by his own son, he said, Behold, here am I, let the Lord do to me as seemeth good unto him. How is it possible to say that? Well, when faith sees God's sovereignty over against my sinfulness, you see, then faith says, It's well, God is just, I, I, I deserve even worse. I deserve even worse. When I was 10 years old, I, I asked a lot of heady questions of my mother. And uh, one of the questions I, I asked her was, how come you always say to us when we complain about something, it could be worse? And she answered, because it could be worse. And I said, yeah, but you know, it doesn't help anything. It just always could be worse. Well, she said, if you realize what you deserve, you see... You always deserve worse. You always deserve worse. I was in Butterworth Hospital on first floor, went into an elevator. A lady joined me. She wanted floor seven, I wanted floor seven. I thought, well, I've got about a minute and a quarter maybe to evangelize her. So I said, it's uh, great weather out today. She said, it sure is. I said, yeah, it's, people often complain about the weather. She said, oh, you got that right. She said, my mother always told me anything above the ground is the mercy of God. Wow. Suddenly I realized she was evangelizing me. See, she was saying, death and hell is all you deserve. Anything above ground is the mercy of God. And you see, once we experientially live that in, then we can say every single day, God is treating me better than I've ever treated him. It is well. I justify God. I justify God. Then we don't say when something happens to us, why me? But we say, why not me? Why not me? Well, thirdly, we don't only acknowledge God when we bow in true submission and say it as well, that it is the Lord, and we don't only justify Him and say it is right, but we approve of Him. This goes much, much deeper. The Shunammite isn't just saying, Lord, it's not wrong what Thou hast done, but she's saying it is well, it is right, it is good what Thou hast done. Thy ways are always the best ways for me. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, we had an elder in our church who had a very serious knee surgery, and uh, it didn't go well. He got infection, and he had to have another surgery, and it didn't go well, and he had a third. And the doctor said to him, if, if the infection comes back again, we're going to have to take off your leg. But through the whole process of three surgeries, this brother would just say, it is well, whatever God does with my leg. And finally it went well. So we were all relieved. And then about, I don't know, four to six weeks later, one day I get a call from him and said, uh, I just want to let you know the infection is back. I go, oh, brother, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, don't be sorry, he said. My father knows best. He just must have more lessons to teach me. And if I lose my leg, he'll, he'll help me. 
It's well. I felt my faith was <laughs> about like that at that moment. Uh, you know, and it's a wonderful thing when your parishioners can show you the reality of God in the ministry in such a way that your faith is boosted and they pastor you more than you pastor them even while you're in the act of pastoring them. But that's what happened to me at that moment. It's my father's hand. And he knows what's best. Are you going through some huge affliction right now? Ask God for grace to say, it is well. It's my father's hand. He knows best. All things work together for good. You believe that, don't you? To those who love God. Do you love God? It's my Father's hand. It is well. See, when you approve of God in the midst of darkness, in the midst of trial, you honor God in a big way. God delights for his people to glorify him while they're in the tunnel of affliction. But then, most deeply of all, faith not only acknowledges, justifies, approves the Lord, but it cleaves to the Lord. It cleaves to the Lord. As my greatest friend, when he seems to come out against me as my greatest enemy. And you see, that's what this woman is doing as well. She's cleaving to the Lord when she comes forward and she clings to the prophet's feet and she uh, cries out to the prophet. She's, she's not crying out of unbelief. She's, she's clinging. She's clinging to the Lord. Now when you look at these four steps of submission, if you're like me, sometimes it seems overwhelming. Like I'm, I'm just so seldom there. The way I should be. The way I should be. How, how can you get there? How can you stay there? Well, certainly the only way is to realize that it's all because of Jesus you could ever come there, and it's all because of Jesus you could ever stay there, because Jesus went there and Jesus stayed there. Jesus went through incredible affliction. But you can walk yourself through every one of these four steps. And he was there saying it as well. I'm doing my Father's will. He acknowledged every trial that came his way was from God, didn't he? And he justified God because he knew that he was standing in those trials in the place of sinners that would bring salvation. And he gave himself for that. And he approved of God. In fact, he rejoiced in everything that his Father was doing. He even rejoiced that... The, Salvation was hidden from the wise and prudent and revealed to babes. And he clung to the Lord. Even when he was forsaken by him. My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Because of Jesus. We can have any submission at all. But this history also, also unveils for us what submission is not. Let me just quickly cover that before we close. Submission is not 
a taking away of the sense or feeling of the affliction. Notice what the woman does. She doesn't say it is well, and therefore I have nothing more to do. No, when she came to the man of God, verse 27, she caught him by the feet. Her soul was vexed within her. As John Owen once said, your soul can be very vexed and be very submissive at the same time by the work of the Spirit within you. True submission doesn't mean you don't feel anything. Christianity is not stoicism. True submission means while I'm in the pain, I'm bowing under God. There was once a couple in our church who, who really never had a good marriage. And it was kind of sad. They were married 50-some years, and then her husband died. And About two years later, she said to me at one point, she said, you know, God has given me so much submission with the loss of my husband. She said, I've never missed him for a moment. Uh, <laughs> that's not submission. She was relieved. Submission is when you do miss and then bowing, you see. So submission is something that feels deeply the pain and feels deeply what it means to trust God in the midst of pain. In fact, when we're unvexed about the things of God, and unconverted, that's exactly our problem, that we're unvexed. We need our souls vexed, don't we, when we are not right with God. One of our forefathers, Reverend Ladebor, used to say, our greatest misery is that we don't know our misery. We say it is well by nature because we're blind to our dangerous state for eternity. Secondly, submission is not avoiding seeking for the reason of God's providential dispensations. We ought to be asking, why? Sometimes in, in my circles, people often say, well, we know we shouldn't be asking the Lord why when troubles come. I, I don't agree with that. I do agree we shouldn't be asking the Lord why with a fist of anger. But we should be asking why with our palms spread out. Search me, O God, and know me and try my ways and root out every way, evil way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It can't possibly be wrong to ask God why in that way. Because Jesus never sinned and he asked the greatest why question ever. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so this woman, you see, she falls at his feet. She says, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She's saying, why? Why is, I don't understand what's happening. What I do now thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. And thirdly, submission is not sitting back with indifference and doing nothing. No, it's active, I said. She, she doesn't even accept it that the prophet sends Gehazi before her. 
She won't go back without Elisha, and she won't let Elisha stay at Mount Carmel either. She says, as your soul lives and as the Lord lives, I will not leave thee. Come back with me. And you know the story. Elisha rises and follows her and prays over the boy and stretches himself and upon the child and the flesh of the child waxes warm and sneezes and opens his eyes and Elisha delivers the son to the Shunammite mother. And then you read again, two more went in and went out. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Shalom, future, it shall be well. Shalom, past, it is well. Shalom, in the present. God has made all things well. There's a wonderful text in Proverbs 23. It says um, that there shall surely come an end and thy expectation shall not be cut off. God will bring his people through every single trial in their lives. He'll bring them through out of the burning fiery furnace of trial without one hair singed and all shall be well. And on the great day, all shall be perfectly well forever and forever and forever. So brothers and sisters, is it, is it well with you this morning? Are you reconciled to the will of God? Are you submissive under God's providential leadings? Are you growing in hatred for Jesus? Hatred, sorry, for sin and love for Jesus? Are you growing in grace and faith through all the trials he sends your way? Are you growing in becoming a great man or a great woman of great faith because you learn more and more to turn the reins of your life over into the hands of God? Even as you wrestle for his benediction upon you, is it well with you? Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask thy benediction upon this short address. We pray that thou wilt greatly work in our lives that wonderful shalom, peace through the Prince of Peace who went and suffered and bowed so deeply in the Garden of Gethsemane and at Gabbatha and at Golgotha, saying, Not my will, but thy will be done. I will drink the cup my Father has given me to its bottom bitter dregs. It is well. O God, help us to be more like Christ, to surrender to all thy ways, and to do it with joy and contentment and peace through the shalom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.